My name is Alan Smithson, your host for the XR for Business podcast, where we interview industry leaders who are either making or using immersive virtual, augmented, and mixed reality solutions for business. From marketing and sales, to logistics and training, to design and remote collaboration, learn how the world's largest organizations are implementing an XR for Business strategy and why you should too. Hello, everybody. Today's guest is one of my good friends and someone I consider a mentor, XR consultant, columnist, speaker, and author, Mr. Charlie Fink. Charlie Fink is a Forbes columnist and an author of two AR-enabled books, Charlie Fink's Metaverse, A Guide to VR and AR, and Convergence, How the World Will Be Painted with Data. Charlie is a former Disney, AOL, and AG interactive executive famous for coming up with the idea that turned into The Lion King. Charlie was EVP and COO of VR Pioneer Virtual World Entertainment. He was an SVP of AOL Studios and president of the American Greetings Interactive. Charlie has founded and exited two venture-backed startups and has produced over 30 award-winning Broadway musicals. Charlie is leading the way in XR for Business by covering and reporting on everything XR-related. With that, let's welcome Charlie Fink. Wow, I don't know if I could live up to an introduction like that. Thank you, Alan. Oh, you're amazing. You're amazing, and thank you so much for being on the show. First of all, I want to congratulate you on the launch of your new book, Convergence, an AR-enabled book about AR. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the book and why, you know, why it came to be. Well, we were looking at doing a second edition of the first book, which sold very well. But it soon became apparent that the AR topic in particular had been sort of glossed over in the first book, which was largely about VR. So I started to think about the idea of doing a new book and I got a lot of support for it in the community. In fact, it is a sponsored book, meaning I got, I I got enough donations that I could afford to write the book and get it printed. It's printed on you know, premium paper, and it's it's priced high, like a textbook, at fifty dollars. Of course, it's filled with an hour of animation, so it's not a normal book, and it doesn't adhere to book economics. So, to make it work, I really needed to build a community of about a hundred people around the book, many providing augmented scenes, and many actually contributing thought leadership and reporting. The topic of the book kind of evolved because I, you know, originally I was thinking the title would be something like the many modes of AR or or how the world will be painted with data, which is a phrase I coined, which suggests a fully scalable AR cloud, which would make the devices we use a whole lot more useful and interesting than they are today, where we use something called marker-based AR. And as I got into the book and uh, editing the work of my collaborators, it, it, cl- it was clear everyone was talking about the same thing, which is this world of ubiquitous wearable computing. What the final form factor will be, we can debate. But this idea of a magic verse based on a mirror world became the theme of the book which is essentially the convergence of 5G and AR and artificial intelligence that would manage all of this data for you 
so that it is wanted and contextual. Otherwise, if it's interrupting you, I don't see how that's possibly a welcome augmentation, right? It can't be showing you advertising. It has to show you what you want, when you want it, or where you need it. You know, you don't need to see the weather in front of your in front of your eyes <laughs> spatially, although it would be fun from time to time. But the truth is, you know what the weather is. Um, so that that became the title of the book, Convergence. And if you look at history, you know there have been a number of moments of sort of platform innovation that launched heretofore uh, unconceived ideas. So, for example, look at uh, GPS in a phone, right? There would be no Uber, no Seamless. There's a whole range of services, and, and GPS is getting better now that it's being married to computer vision, so you can get highly localized Google directions really accurate down to a couple of feet. So convergence is beginning, right? The combustion engine is an example of convergence. What did it enable? Look at steam. It enabled factories. It enabled transportation and railroads in the same way that, that GPS and, and other the internet has essentially created five of the biggest companies in the world. So that's the topic of the book. And of course, it's filled with augmentations as opposed to the first book, which had kind of a funny cartoon series that was made by living pop-ups. This has 50 augmentations, mostly from the sponsors. There is a little living pop-ups uh, layered in just because it's so funny and so incredibly well done. It is and amazing. It's sort of on the topic of technology. So it's great to work with them and all the collaborators. We made this book together, although, of course, I had to do that horrible 12 weeks of doing nothing else and sleeping five hours a night in order to ultimately pull it all together with all the pictures. The book is beautifully designed. Uh, you know, it, that's an award-winning design that Berta Ramick came up with. So I'm feeling good about it. People seem to really like the book. It's much denser than the first book. I think the first book was 40,000 words. This is 90,000 words. So it's, I would say it's the most in-depth book about what's happening in AR and what the trends are today. Awesome. So Charlie, you know, your book really covers a lot. So it's got in there everything from kind of social and social augmentations and things like this. But really, for the, for the listeners of this podcast, we want to drill down into the business applications of this. And in, in the book, you discuss military, telepresence, design and architecture, medical, retail, marketing, uh, journalism, social media, entertainment, gaming, and education. Which of these do you feel right now holds the greatest business potential and why? Well, enterprise AR is just in its infancy, but it transforms anyone who's involved with either the manufacturing process or logistics which is just about every company in the world. So AR is going to make the jobs that people are already doing much easier. There will be adoption issues. It's quite inexpensive compared to other methods. It's no more expensive than an RF gun. And it enables all sorts of new functionality, like, as you mentioned, see what I see. So you can call a remote expert. And again, that's an innovation that is being driven by the camera. You can also do that on a pad or a smartphone. And of course, the use of the camera and the digitization of real environments spatially 
you know, is going to enable a whole range of functionality. You know, they've already got, you know, in your Apple phone, RF detection is already built in. That's the beginning. Interesting. So then I think one of the questions that people are going to have is, at what point do we go from a mobile device, so a phone or a tablet, and then go to glasses? And, and where kind of is that divide? And is there um, a solution that basically bridges the gap between that? And what do you see as the uptake of glasses versus devices such as iPads? Well, and there, there are two things. One is glasses allow workers to keep their hands free. Glasses allow workers to see schematics and the handwork in the same field of view so that uh, fewer, mis- many fewer mistakes are made. When you're wiring a jet, mistakes are, takes it take as long, it take, inspection and correction takes as long as the actual wiring of the jet. So you've got companies like Boeing and Airbus saving tens of millions of dollars per jet. And I don't know, Boeing makes 3,000 jets a year. So that's, that's quite, incredible. That's quite extraordinary in terms of the amount of savings. And, and they have a system that they can use themselves and change out the schematics. The workers can take a picture of their work when they're done so that if a mistake is found, the picture could be reviewed or the picture could be reviewed in real time. So interesting. many companies are, are adapting it for, for that reason. But you know, companies should select the right tool for the job. Is this a job for Google Glass? Is this a job for the HoloLens? Or is this something that we can just do? have a worker do on a smartphone? It's interesting that you, you uh, talk about these different headsets. And for the listeners who don't understand the difference between them, maybe you can walk us through kind of the beginning of it. So, you know, maybe a phone-based right up and through to something like the HoloLens and kind of what are the differentiations between them? Right. Well, let's first let me set this up by talking about the difference between AR and VR. Sure. Um, VR has a lot of fantastic applications in training and simulation. That is its most powerful use. And it is quite effective at those things. Of course, it also has telepresence. So you could be virtually present in, in a place like Egypt, not in real time, but in, in space, in simulation. And a lot of companies, anybody who's got you know, vehicle-based businesses, machine businesses. There was a fantastic example of South by Southwest, the Raymond Corporation, which makes forklifts, has created a simulator module that you can clip onto a real forklift. And oh, you can wow. have that in your warehouse. And whenever you're training a new worker, you have them spend a few hours on the simulator. That's awesome. So uh, that's what VR is good for, right? It fully occludes the world and creates a new reality in, in which you can be present. So that's a very powerful quality that it has. And again, it's a platform and people are innovating, but the success seems to be right now limited to both medical applications and training applications. There are some games and social experiences. I mean, there are millions of people going into rec room. So it, it has some social benefits. You know, because that's not a game, that's an experience. Mm-hmm. Not to say that games can't be experienced, but in my opinion, I don't think the killer app of virtual reality is games. But let's now switch to the topic of augmented reality, which is really what this conversation is about. It's much more broadly applicable to business than VR. They're both technologies that that share some things in common but largely are separate because you need the real world in order to augment it absolutely 
So well, now I think what you're saying here is virtual reality is great for kind of those before you're on the site. Uh, so training and then maybe remote, um, remote collaboration for design maybe. And then AR is more on the practical side of your everyday work. Yeah, that's one way to think about it. In other words, um, think about it on a spectrum of immersion, although that doesn't really make sense. It's it's. Let's start out with the basic device, right? You can do a lot of the things we're talking about, see what I see with remote experts, uh, documentation, uh, geolocated instructions. You can do all that with a smartphone, right? That's cheapest because the worker already has a pad or a smartphone with them. So no retraining required. This is not a worker who necessarily has to have their hands free in order to read the information that they need. So the cheapest and the simplest is, is of course, in, in many cases, all that's necessary. You have to look at the business process and segment specific elements of it that can be augmented. Not everything in the business process is going to be, benefit, is going to be benefited by augmented reality. Of course, anybody who has a warehouse can be hugely benefited because you take the functionality of that pad, the barcode, the RF gun, and you put it all in a head-mounted display. So that's actually a fantastic use case, and there are a lot of companies focused on exactly that, warehousing and logistics, because augmented reality is so effective. And they use something called the monocular micro-display, which is really a tiny TV set hanging out there in your peripheral view and you're mostly looking past it, but you can focus on it when you need it. So kind of like heads up instructions. Yeah. It's, it's Google glass. Yep. You know, there are a lot of companies that probably people on this podcast have never heard of, nor did they need to know their names that make binocular micro displays. Some of them like Vuzix or, are as popular as Google glass. They make something called the M 300, which is very popular. So the next kind of augmented reality is called reflective AR. And this is where you're using your smartphone, but you're bouncing the image or the information on some kind of projection surface in front of your face. And that is actually similar to the way the HoloLens works, except the HoloLens is filled with sensors and is aware of your environment, and it has advanced optics, which can place 3D objects in your field of view. So give us an example of, you know, why why that would be important where you need to, you know, be contextually aware and why you would need 3D data. Well, let's, in go your... back, let's go back to the wiring of the jet. Okay. Uh, and I'll talk about something that Lockheed does. You put the HoloLens on and it can place on each peg what wire goes in it. Why can it do that? It has much better, more sophisticated sensors. So that's the tool. That's a better tool for that job in a certain respect, you know, but it's much more intrusive. It's heavier. It's harder to wear for a long period of time. Whereas, you know, monocular micro display can clip onto your helmet. Interesting. So, you know, give us an example of, you know, maybe uh, some companies, you said, you know, Lockheed Martin's using spatially aware headsets to kind of overlay uh, instructions and data on top of the real world. Give an example of maybe a company that you know of that's providing uh, this monocular display. You talked about Vuzix and I think there's, you know, there's other uh, companies. Vuzix is one, Copen is one, but they made a reference design that they're hoping other companies like Realware will adapt and manufacture and market. And maybe describe realware to everybody. 
Realware is a company that is uh, associated with Copen and uses their reference design to create a monocular display, micro display, but they house it. Uh, you know, their trick is the way they house it mm-hmm. is industrial grade. So, so it, you know, clips onto, for example, work glasses. Let's say you were doing welding. Um, you know, it, it, it incorporates easily those kinds of uh, practical uses. Yeah, I've actually tried it uh, at CES. I, it, they had it in a work helmet uh, in a, you know. Yes, I saw that. that too. And also, you know, when they walked on stage at AWE last May, one of the guys was in a hazmat suit. Interesting. So it's a very versatile, rugged device that they made. Um, using somebody else's technology, but their industry knowledge and their understanding of the customer needs. It's interesting because I think we're going to see a lot of this where you have kind of hardware manufacturers like Copen. And for people who don't know, Copen is a um, a display manufacturer. They make micro displays for these types of glasses and headsets. I believe they make parts for the for the Vuzix blades, and they make different parts for different people's glasses. But there's they're going to be there's going to be the makers of the of the actual hardware. But then there's going to be solutions providers like uh, companies like Upskill, where they're actually providing kind of the software backend and other companies. They are Reflect. There's a whole class of companies that I call consulting integrators. Got it. So they've got a platform that they're going to leave behind them. They're going to work with the client to identify the need, the right tools for the job, and then they leave them with a SaaS platform that's object-oriented, meaning you don't need to be a programmer to update the app. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, they then they get recurring revenue, and that's really what everybody wants in uh, media today. So maybe you can, you know, in the interest of, of the listeners and, and getting straight to the point of value creation, what are some of the companies? You mentioned a couple there. What are some of the companies that are offering this service? Because I know uh, coming up in other episodes of this podcast, we'll be interviewing these different companies. So what are some of the companies that you are seeing well, – it depends doing- on the vertical, right? They're sort of dividing it up by vertical. Got it. So you've got a company like Visualix out of Germany that is specifically looking at geolocation uh, in warehouses, micro geolocation. So it's you know using edge computing. It's identifying a box down to you know six inches. So you're driving the forklift and it's giving you directions to the box, and everything is automatic. And it tracks the changes in the environment. So that's one example. You have Reflect, which is focused largely on the industrial aftermarket and large equipment and and integrating CAD. Occipital does that as well. Scope AR, you know, is a broad integrator like Upskill and that has clients in a lot of different verticals. And then, of course, the the big daddy that really doesn't get talked about as much is PTC, which is a $10 billion publicly traded company. Focused, I would say, probably 65%, two-thirds on augmented reality. And then they have a legacy CAD business that you know has different forms for them and still is a lot of their revenue, right? But a lot of what they did was say, why can't we bring these CADs into the real world? You know, think of the application for architecture and design on site. Interesting. People would see their buildings in place before they break ground. Interesting. We've talked a lot about kind of the industrial and uh, enterprise applications, but 
you know, you were just at South by Southwest for the launch of your book. Can you maybe talk about some of the the marketing applications or some of the things that you saw there that were maybe not as industrialized for, you know, listeners that are in marketing or in sales or in training or HR? What are some of the other aspects of this technology that are being used that you've seen? Anything that uses your camera is inherently social. The way companies market today is they get their customers to do it for them on social media. Obviously, they do micro-targeting and use Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to try and find people in context, but they also use different strategies for getting people to make content for them. And this is an example of the camera as a platform enabling things that were heretofore impossible. Amazon Prime did a has a series coming up called Good Omens, uh, which is about angels and devils among us in the days before the apocalypse, and it's a comedy. <laughs> okay. And they set up a compound that people waited in line hours to get into, and it was sort of a garden of earthly delights, if you will, Okay, where you could post in different stations and take selfies and you uploaded them to get prizes. They had a big leaderboard of all the social posts that were being made. And you know they made it as visual as possible, including when you left having a machine that would take a selfie and post it for you. So, And then they were walking all around, had costume characters as angels and devils while walking around the convention center for some experiential marketing. I mean, it was fantastically well done activation. It probably cost millions of dollars. Is this but, for a new TV show? Is that what it's for? Yeah, it's a, it's a series on Amazon. Amazing. But companies don't have, you know, TV commercials don't really do it today. And they're still very expensive. So that was a way to take 80,000 influencers and people who are active, you know, generally people who go to South by Southwest are, are thought leaders of some sort in their own social circle. This is true. So you see a lot of big companies doing activation. There are always the Vox Media and Vivo and you know Dell and uh, Deloitte all have you know big sort of houses that they rent, both by the convention center and over on uh, Rainy Street, which is across the street from the convention center. There's a street full of bars that were you know a lot of little houses that were converted into bars. And those get rented by companies probably, I'm going to guess, for about $25,000 a day. And they have events there and they host parties there. Everyone is trying to, you know, get in front of the people who are there. And and some of them are are really popular and they're free, right? People wait in line to get their drink tickets and hear a band. The other thing about South by Southwest is you do hear a lot of amazing music by accident, you know, I was at Flatstock, which is the paper uh, print exhibition. Okay. Typically, it's big posters What's about bands, right? So it's called Flatstock. Flatstock. And uh, there was a Flatstock stage where there was a band playing. Jonathan from Croatia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He was really pretty good. So that's those are the delights of South by Southwest, those things that happen accidentally that weren't on your schedule that you just stumble into. It's interesting. Brands, One of the brands try and use that to to establish themselves. Now you asked about specifically marketing applications for AR. Because I all this started with with me saying it has to be social. Yep. So Burger King has an app 
where it, it, it's doing computer vision to recognize the advertising or of an of a competitor and and sort of deface it in an amusing way. I actually posted that the other day and it got 50,000 views in two days. Yeah, because cool as all get out. And of course, people are using it socially. They're, you know, it's on their camera. They're recording it's it. It's really a fun one. I love that. Think it's cool. So that's a tremendous amount of, of marketing on Burger King's behalf that is being done by its customers. Absolutely. It's interesting that you, you brought that one up because, you know, of all the crazy things we've seen people do with AR from, you know, selfie images and all of this, the, the AR. And for those of you who don't know the Burger King, what they did was they created an app so that if you pointed it at their competitors advertising, whether it be a billboard or a poster or whatever, it burst into flames and gave you a free Whopper, a flame grilled Whopper. And they're, they're using, they're using computer vision. It's yeah. a brilliant application. So smart. I, I'm assuming they're just looking for the logos of their competitors and then blowing them up. So what a great, or, or they are, or they are, um, you know, texture mapping or, or depth mapping the images so that they can trigger, you know, the, um, hyper location, right. They know where they are physically. they, they need a kind of a mesh to recognize it if they're not using a marker of some time, kind or the logo. Some logos will scan better than others depending on what technology they're using. Absolutely. So let me ask you a question. Of all the things that you've seen, you know, in your book here, you've got you know military applications, you've got retail applications, you've got what do you think is that? you know, that so-called killer app of augmented reality. What is that? And you know, it's funny because I wrote an article. Uh, about augmented reality's first killer app, but I'm interested to know what your thought is on the first killer app of this uh, in business. I don't think we, well, I mean, in business, uh, remote uh, experts and work instructions and wayfinding and warehouses are the three really big ones. So maybe let's let's unpack that. So the first one is remote um, instruction. Well, that's that's where you remote instructions, right? We that was my wiring diagram yep. from earlier. So one of the things that any I, worker who's looking at schematics can benefit from having the schematics in the field of view of the handwork. One of the things that we saw um, early on was uh, kind of a see what I see, being able to call in an expert. Uh, yeah, take a low skill worker and turn them into a high skill worker. So. You know, the low-skill worker is on the factory floor. The high-skill worker is in the office. You know, so call your supervisor. He doesn't have to walk 10 minutes to find you. And, or, or, you know, so the see what you see is powerful and useful. I agree. And also the ability to document the work in a hands-free way. Uh, that's very important. So shifting gears, shifting gears slightly, you know, uh, and this is – this is interesting. It's in your book as well. A recent study commissioned by Microsoft in the Harvard Business Review showed that 87% of correspondents that they interviewed are currently exploring, piloting, or deploying mixed reality in their company workflows. Uh, what I want to know is, is this congruent with what you're seeing and hearing in the field? At big companies that have innovation offices, it is true. Okay. And there are a lot of integrators out there, the big consulting companies, that are evangelizing this in various uh, companies. Right, it's starting to be something that they do. 
So there's, you know, the Deloitte's and the Accenture's of the world. Is that what you're talking about? Correct, correct. But, you know, they're looking at, you know, because they have Fortune 500 clients. Yep. And their clients aren't super cost sensitive. Again, look at the savings that Boeing yielded working with Upskill. Yeah, absolutely. And they like them so much they invested in the company. Because it was obvious to them how many applications there would be. And in fact, they're going factory by factory and figuring it out. But, you know, the, the pace of change in a company like Boeing is extraordinarily small. Uh, it's extraordinarily large. So that's partly what the innovation office does is they kind of figure out what's out there and try and evangelize it to colleagues, sometimes on their own, sometimes with the help of the CIO or just depends on how the company is, is approaching it. But I think the companies that Microsoft included in the survey were those large companies that have innovation offices. But, you know, they're, they're you're talking about, you know, 1% of their workflow is being assisted by augmented reality. So as we and again, move, this kind of augmented reality that we're largely talking about with micro displays are no longer, we're no longer calling it augmented reality. We're calling that assisted reality. Got it. The difference being it doesn't go through the camera. Got it. Okay. So that's just a, an assisted reality, a heads up display. You know, it's interesting, the, the person who wrote your foreword for your new book, Convergence, uh, Jay Samet, he was the kind of chairman or, or um, chair. He's, he's still right now the non-executive vice chairman. Non-executive vice chairman of Deloitte Digital. And in their Yeah, and they, they deploy him when they need him. Interesting. He's like a, a weapon in their quiver. And he knows a lot of people. I, I would expect Jay has actually helped them with sourcing clients. Absolutely. He's a very, uh, very well-known innovator. You know, he's a, he's, he also is a fantastic speaker and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Yeah, I, and, I'm hoping to have him. like Ted Leontes, who I used to work for years ago, he, he seems to be living a few years into the future. So it's always exciting to get his perspective of what's going on. The XR for Business podcast is brought to you by my employer, Metaverse, a global leader in XR strategy and product development. Metaverse has a range of products to help you leverage the transformative power of virtual, augmented, and mixed reality in your company. If you want to keep up to date with all things XR, you can sign up for our daily or weekly newsletter at xrforbusiness.io, x-r-f-o-r-b-u-s-i-n-e-s-s dot I-O. So speaking of looking into the future, Somebody else who's kind of looking into the future that you've been covering uh, in in your Forbes articles is um, Magic Leap, and uh, you know their CEO um, Ronnie. And maybe you can discuss kind of what their big vision is because I know you've spent some quite a, a lot of time with them, and you've written s- several articles about their vision for the future. And how do you see them relating to kind of the business applications of XR technologies? Well, a few things about Magic Leap, just to describe it for your sure. readers who don't know. It's a, it's, they use a multi-planar system to place objects in depth. That is it, its most unique aspect of the optical technology that they have. Right? They know how far away things are. That's part of the beauty of their sensors. It's they have a different form factor. To be honest, when you first put it on, in, in the, you hear a sound come from behind you. And it sounds like it should be 10 feet away. And you look and something is 10 feet away. It's incredible. Right. 
you, you place digital objects and they remain anchored where you've placed them. It, uh, you know, does games where they, you know, anchor on a wall and then things come through the hole in the wall. It's, it's a very, very clever system that took them over five years to pull together because there were so many issues that had to be solved. Along the way, they raised over $3 billion. Wow. Which is quite remarkable wow. since most of their plans were secret. Let's just, so they have a headset. Now, one second, really, early. Let's just kind of, you know, $3 billion they raised as a startup. That- right. And they raised it. And part of the story there is who they raised it from. Google put in $500 million. Once they did that, it activated a a lot of large investors, including Disney and Warner Brothers and AT&T and the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia. They also have the largest investment companies in the world uh, investing in them, and they don't expect to make money for at least 10 years. Incredible. So they're taking the long route. They're taking the Amazon route. Do you think right. three, Amazon, was, uh, Amazon is basically still not profitable? Do you think three billion is enough? Probably not, because you're you know but they you are, look at you know, they're getting a lot of traction, so they, they'll be able to raise more money at a more realistic valuation because so much more will be done will be known by the market. But I I think they could go several years on the money they have now. Magic Leap has a lot of great people. Uh, running off doing different things. They're in education. They're pushing hard for enterprise. They recognize that those kinds of applications in the near term, because they're more expensive, are going to be the ones used most frequently. In the long term, they see a consumer platform that has some powerful AI in, in it and can function well in a fully 5G environment. I think the beauty of Magic Leap is this whole idea of spatial computing, which you described very well a couple of minutes ago. They have, you know, past several years been evangelizing this vision. It hasn't always been clear to people what the heck they were talking about, but their vision is a 3D world that in which digital objects and information cohabit the world with us. So imagine walking down Fifth Avenue and everybody who walks past you is a cartoon animal and every building is, you know, like Toontown. Just to use an example, those are the kinds of apps that Magic Leap wants to enable, but you need ubiquitous zero latency wearable computing to do it. So that's their vision and they're thinking the final form factor they're thinking is is very light and not terribly different from the glasses you're already wearing. But they're also thinking it's not necessarily the device, right? It's the layers, the magic versus where the value is. And, and you might pro, you know, project that from a watch onto a projection surface. It's interesting. So we don't know what the form factor is going to be, and, and they're hedging because they know they don't know. But they're using the optical system and the infrastructure that they're building to build this 3D twin of the world in which – Content can be realistically anchored and persist for the next person who sees it. It's interesting you mentioned that because you know recently uh, Kevin Kelly um, released an article on Wired called Mirror World, talking about how 
we would have an exact duplicate of the entire planet. And if you look at what Google's done over the last 20 years, they've, or 10 years, I guess, they've really taken um, a depth map and full comprehensive view of the entire external world that we live in. Yeah, Google Maps may be one of the biggest digital assets in the world. Absolutely. And the one thing that you know people don't realize is that Google Maps has a, a map of the entire planet on the outside. They don't have the inside world. So I think there's going to be a, a huge opportunity for uh, companies like Magic Leap and maybe Apple and Amazon and Google to capture uh, a point cloud or a, a version, a mirror world of every part of our lives from our inside of our house to our offices to buildings what are you what are your thoughts on that and you know companies like 6d.ai that are kind of pioneering this as well 6d.ai is an interesting company they have an augment in the book and we're, we're one of the sponsors the ceo and co-founder of the company matt meisnikes is a former samsung executive who also is part of a well-known AR venture capital fund, Super Ventures. In his travels, he became exposed to this technology and started to think about this notion of using everybody's depth data and point clouds and stitching them together on the back end to create a digital twin of the world, the mirror world, that you, you could place augmented reality on top of and within. So there are two things that we're really talking about, right? One is the mirror world and the other is the AR, which gets anchored to it spatially. Interesting. Okay. And Magic Leap calls that the magic verse. Orion Barr calls it the Wikipedia for the real world. And I call it a world painted with data. All of the data, you know, which will be like anchoring pictures of food where you take them, right? So this is the end of the newsfeed which goes by at 100 miles an hour. Instead, it'll be the age of contextual content. So you want to take a picture of food and you'll add a little review for your friend friend who's in the same restaurant a year later. Incredible. Absolutely. So it's, 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 it's pretty exciting. But we're again, a mirror world is talking about the twin, right? It's talking about infrastructure. Mm-hmm. The AR cloud or the magic verse or the layers – that Magic Leap refers to is the content and the services that sit on top of that. Again, let's go back to the combustion engine, enabling you know the car and the airplane. Mm-hmm. So the combustion engine is the thing. The person who made the combustion engine didn't think this is going to generate. This is going to make air travel possible. No, absolutely right. But but it was it was extremely disruptive new technologies that. You know, like the camera, like GPS enabled fantastic new services. One of the things that I think is really intriguing is this idea that, you know, once you have a, a, the magic verse or this, you know, the uh, capture of the mirror world, who actually owns that three-dimensional space? And, you know, it's interesting. We're doing a, a virtual and augmented reality association meetup on the legal aspects or the looking through the legal lens of this technology. And, you know, something like the Burger King example, where Burger King is using their competitors' advertisings to advertise their products. And I mean, what are the legal implications around using three-dimensional space? And, and it, will it be more give more um, agency to the end user so that they can decide what they see versus 
what advertisers want them to see. Well, anything that you can see in public is public domain. Right. Yes, so you I, can't I say can't in building, the front of my building is so unique that you may not photograph it. Right. That's true. But I can't go over. When you, get inside, when you get inside a building, now I think you're in a legal gray zone. Right. Is the inside of a mall a public place or does the mall owner own that data? Interesting. That's a really good point. Of course, you know, in, in your private place, there'll be all sorts of security protocols that you can opt in and out of. But anybody who walks through your house can make a map of some sort. So that's a very different matter, right? I don't think people are going to be comfortable with other people knowing where everything is in their house. But any kind of a, a magic verse is going to be governed by a filter. That's where the AI comes in. So it, you, in order to see the burning McDonald's sign, you would have to activate that filter. Say, yes, you can show me that. Interesting. Right. It has to be a permission-based system. Let's say, I mean, there's going to be a ton of graffiti. There will be graffiti apps and, you know, graffiti layers, if you will. Maybe people will turn them on and off for entertainment. They'll be in a park. They'll see it's there, right? There has to be a detection system that tells you when content is proximate to you and asks if you want to see it. But it would be so many questions. It would be so intrusive. The machine has to know. The computer has to know. So that's artificial intelligence, where, where it's integrating what it's learning with what it knows. So Charlie, you've mentioned a couple of technologies. You've mentioned 5G, uh, AR, and now artificial intelligence. You know, in how do they all work together? Because I think what people don't realize is that as we enter this kind of exponential age uh, or phase of technology where they all kind of coalesce together, you're going to have all of these different technologies working together. And it, you can't really look at augmented reality without 5G, without IoT sensors or Internet of Things sensors, without... Right. You're right. And what you're talking about is what, what the technology people call a stack. What could be in the stack? Uh, computer vision, geolocation, um, sensors, sensors, sensors. It's all about sensors. And, and what I would say is a sensor does not need to be head-mounted. Right, a sensor could be on your lapel, and you could be wearing some Bose spatial sound glasses that have your prescription in them, and it could be telling you what you need to know rather than disrupting your field of view. And they're they're quite extraordinary because you're the only one who hears them, even though you don't have your earplugs in, and and they are spatial, as we were describing the the Hololens and or um, the Magic Leap device, the the Creators Edition, which is their developer edition. So the current version of the Magic Leap is $2,300, and, and it's focused on programmers and prosumers. Interesting. Shifting, shifting focuses a little bit to something that I, I saw on the uh, HoloLens 2 launch that I think is, is personally going to be a really killer app for, uh, for businesses, and that's uh, telecommunication or um, – remote communication, something like Spatial, uh, the company Spatial that kind of came out of uh, Stealth recently and introduced this amazing um, this amazing ability to have virtual 
people in your space so I could have a meeting with you in virtual space and you and I could see each other, interact with each other, look into each other's eyes because it now has eye tracking. So maybe talk to the business applications around Spatial and what they're doing. Yeah, You're talking about um, a, a new startup called Spatial, which is well-funded and, and staffed by big technology company veterans, although they're still quite young. And it creates an avatar for the user, no matter what device they're using. And the avatar is generally based on your social media presence. So they built my avatar when I went to visit them out of my Twitter picture. And then they dimension, you know, they use a real-time AI to kind of predict based on that picture what the rest of you looks like. Amazing. So it's a very uncanny resemblance, although it's not photographic, it's graphic. You know, it's cartoon, just like Facebook does something similar in Facebook spaces for virtual reality. But is it creepy? Because you mentioned uncanny, and, and for those no. of you who don't know, there's a no, term no, called it's the. Not, it's not like it's not like uh, you know those uh, realistic Hanson robots. What whatever that. <laughs> yeah. Name uh, what's her name? That's, that one is a little creepy, but it's it's a really dumb person. You know, they're trying to make Robbie the robot, right, or or the alien helper or the cyborg helper. Or in the aliens movies, so that's never mm-hmm. going to happen. That's a te- think- that's a technology. That's alien technology. That's we're so far away from that. You know, my grandchildren won't see it. So, do you think spatial? Uh, you know, the solution that they're providing, where you can have collaborative. Well, it's really, it's quite compelling. I mean, you do get a genuine sense of presence, no matter what device you're using. Obviously, it's best in a more immersive headset like the Magic Leap or HoloLens, but you know, even people who are using their their pads, you know, feel like they're there. And of course, you then have the point of view of your avatar. You're not seeing yourself. You, I mean, you can go into 3D mode, but typically you're, you're yourself, you're present. And it, it uses the tone of your voice to create gestures and is, is generally pretty good as a remote collaboration platform. You can bring in YouTube, you can move the screens around, you can bring in 3D objects, you can walk around them, you can walk closer to someone. So it really does have a very, very strong sense of presence, especially for an augmented reality device where you're still anchored in your home or office. Do you think it's going to replace travel for business uh, or or not replace, but maybe um, decrease? It will augment it. It'll augment it. I mean, what we're seeing, right, is that it's slowly creeping in to apps we use every day, such as social media filters. And people don't say it's augmented reality. They say it's face filters. They don't say it's facial recognition filters. Yeah. Those are words that consumers don't need to know. I mean, every extra word is, is explaining and explaining is bad. So I know you. I know your opinion on this, but since you just hit on it, what what do you think about this term XR as a catch-all phrase for virtual, augmented, and mixed reality? I think it's useful. To be honest, I have my objections to it, which is just conflates all these technologies, which is super unhelpful because there are many, many modes of AR. Yep. On the other hand, if you're writing about it or writing a book about it, it's 
convenient to say XR instead of AR, VR. And is AR, VR even that accurate? I have been railing against it because I really think that there's so much misunderstanding out there. Another X, R, or another R, I should say. And now we've included diminished re- reality. And as I said earlier, assisted reality. So I, I don't like all these R's. I don't like XR, but I, I'm done fighting about it. <laughs> I think that, you know, Ori Inbar in his keynote at AWE. 2018 said, go a- XR or go home. Yeah, I read that in your book, actually. So, so, I mean, once he said that, I mean, I kind of lost. <laughs> um, I know other people feel as I do, so I'm not alone. I think I'm in a mi- distinct minority, but it's over. I mean, there seems to be a rear guard action I may have ignited, but that's just going to lead to even more confusion. Exactly. So I, 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 I don't know what to say about this other than this is all entree noir. This is all inside baseball. Most people don't even need to know that we're arguing about this because all they care about is what it what does. What it does for them. And I think that leads me into kind of the the last part of, of this interview, which I really want to thank you so much for taking the time to to enlighten uh, our listeners here about the different business applications and what's coming. And you know, the question that I have is then, what do you see for the future of virtual augmented and mixed reality or XR as it pertains to business? Where, where do you see as kind of the ultimate future of this technology? Well, you have to look at the development of the personal computer, which took 20 years. For, for a long time, people didn't think they applied to them at work. And eventually you had to have them. And then people started to learn about the internet and e-commerce. And they said, oh, it's it's got an application that is for me personally. And, and don't forget, in the mid-90s, start, people started to feel that if they didn't have email and if they didn't have a website, if you were an entrepreneur, that you didn't exist or you feared you wouldn't exist. So that was created a lot of FOMO. But I, I think you know part of it was driven by email and part of it was driven by e-commerce and, and both of those enabled by consumer access to the internet through dial-up at first and then through broadband, which really came around very quickly. You know, by the end of the 90s, everybody had a cable modem. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just mapping kind of the... But by the way, the end of the 90s was 20 years. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So this could easily take 20 years. I know people are saying five and, you know, we'll see, but it's going to take some convincing to get a lot of people wearing a head-mounted display. I don't know what the benefit is yet that is powerful enough to get people to do that. I agree. I haven't seen it yet either. But in business, of course, it's a tool. You just take it off when you're done. Yep. It's not – I will also say this both about consumer AR and AR for industry. AR is not a thing to like or dislike or do or not do. AR is a tool. AR enables tools. AR augments tools like the personal computer that has the schematics on it. Well, AR would would make that a little better. You look at consumer apps like Google Maps, and we talked about the combination of computer vision and geolocation, which enables local directions, walking directions to be much more effective than they are right now because it can tell you where to go, but not, it can tell you where you are, but not how to get there. 
So that's going to change. But will people walk around saying, oh, my God, computer vision and augmented reality have made Google Maps much better? Or would they just say, <laughs> this is better Google Maps? Yeah. That is cool. Exactly. Because that's how much thought they're going to give it. So, you know, that that's an example of, uh, you know, augmented reality, taking things we're doing every day and making it better. And that's how it integrates itself into your life. And so I think most of the growth of augmented reality, both in enterprise and, and in on the consumer side, which will, you know, take much longer, uh, you know, it's going to happen without people calling it anything. It's just going to be better computers and better tools and better apps. So augmented reality is a quality or a tool that apps use to be better. So I'm not sure that, um, you know, there's going to be a big parade for augmented reality. <laughs> Definitely not. It's It'll be a big parade for better Google apps. I, it's interesting. You so, again, a lot of this conversation is right inside baseball. Yeah. If you're not in the industry, you don't care. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, uh, Sundar Pichai from, um, from Google said, you know, the idea is that the very idea of the device is going to fade away. So it'll be less. Well, in invisible computing, that's true. The device becomes your glasses. You're not even aware of them being special. That's certainly something that, that our grandchildren will see. So speaking of our grandchildren and looking quite that far out, one last thing that I, I think is, is an interesting segue into the future is uh, brain-computer interfaces. And it's some, not something that people are talking about, but I think – you know, so Elon Musk funded a company to the tune of $40 million that's doing that. We do have implants, right? People who have um, epilepsy and Parkinson's are getting implants. People have been getting implants in, in hearts for 30 years. So we already have implants now, and we have some in the brain. There's still not a lot known about the brain. It's usually to treat a disease, but ultimately, you know, there's a company working on contact lenses. My understanding is right now they can put basically a tweet in contact lenses. So they may be a ways away. Kind of like the North glasses. Well, North glasses are, are just a reflective system that tells you what the weather is and, and you know, helps you. What a tweet. Yeah. yeah. But but again, I, I my, my problem with North, and, and I love the form factor, is just are people going to want to be interrupted like that? I, I have a pair. And, I, uh, I don't see the benefit. They They – are a little distracting. I was walking down the street and I got a message and I thought, oh how cool is this? I was reading my message and I almost walked into somebody because yeah. even though it's monocular, meaning one eye, I, my both eyes kind of look towards it. And I guess over time, your brain kind of just, you know, can, can do both things, but I had just got them and I'm walking down the street and I'm looking at this message. and I literally almost walked into some poor woman on the street. So I can see this as being something maybe dangerous in driving, uh, especially the, for the first little bit until you, get used to that yeah well i, I agree so the final form factor is no, that's another argument for sound by the way i happen to think apple's stealth way into augmented reality is not going to be optical it's going to be based on airpods yeah it'll be interesting to see what apple comes up with they've hired a lot of lot of people they they you know, acquired mateo and vervana and a number of other companies uh i believe it was ifluence or one of the one of the eye tracking companies well, it, I, I mean, my guess is what they're going to do is going to be a spatial uh, AR, VR interoperable device. But the technology is really not quite there yet in terms of miniaturization and form factor. Agreed. Uh, and, uh, you know, Microsoft is really leading the way with sensors. And I don't think we can um, 
overemphasize the importance of sensors versus optics. Really excited to actually try the new Azure Connect, uh, which is a cloud-based Connect system. So, yeah. And of course, it's a, it's a way for Microsoft to charge you extra money every month. <laughs> of course. They love that. They love that Windows license fee they love it. for enterprise. Well, Charlie, thank you so, so much. And everybody, thank you for listening. This podcast was another amazing example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing business across every industry. You can learn more about Charlie and his new book by buying the book Convergence Today by going to www.convergenceAR.com. And Charlie, thank you again so much for being on the show. It's been an amazing honor. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to thank our sponsor, Metaverse, and remind listeners that if you're interested in booking a free consultation on how your company can leverage the transformative power of XR, please connect with us at metaverse.com, M-E-T-A-V-R-S-E.